Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. And here we are. This is Blunt Business on CannabisRadio.com. Thank you for listening to the show. Fighting as you do, subscribing to it wherever you find podcasts. Really glad to have you join us. My next guest has extensive experience helping scores of clients from individual entrepreneurs to publicly traded companies navigating complex cannabis disputes and successful business strategy. Uh, she's a partner and lead of the cannabis practice of Holland and Hart, based in Denver, Colorado. And she joins us now, Rachel Gillette. Thank you for joining us here, Rachel. Thank you for inviting me. Happy to be here. My pleasure. And we did have you on Cannabis Radio before, and we interviewed you and I together on the Grassroots Marketing Series. And now, uh, initially, we talked to you when you were joining the firm, being one of the first lawyers in the country to de dedicate your practice to cannabis. So I was October 2019, if I'm correct, and a lot has happened since then. But here yes, we are. Has. We talked about you initially coming into the space, but now let's really face some of the obstacles and some of the things that have happened since we last spoke that are still very point of mind. Now, here's one thing I want to ask you about first. You talked with MJ Biz recently, and you mentioned that you were, quote, a little offended by the kind of horse trading, you said, that resulted in a safe banking measure coming out of the defense spending bill. As we know, it's a National Defense Authorization Act that Congress is trying to go ahead and in incorporate the safe banking. Obviously, they always do this, you know, what they call those these political terms, pork bill spending. And, you know, they're always trying to insert bills into bills and having it be a thousand pages that nobody gets a chance to read it. And you only have like, you know, a day to go ahead and review and vote. That's how it works in uh, Washington, D.C. Now, they paraphrased you saying that cash control is one of the biggest issues your clients deal with. And it seems as if everyone would be better served, the federal government included, if state legal marijuana businesses could access traditional financial services. The current situation, quote, creates this tremendous safety issue for a multi-billion dollar industry, end quote. So in the time you've spent now at Holland & Hart working the cannabis part of the practice, what are some of the most common issues that your team has had to deal with? Well, I mean, you still have businesses that are either unbanked or underbanked or, you know, in, in numerous states, there aren't enough banks to serve the number of licensed marijuana businesses that exist. So you have people having bank accounts, then getting their bank accounts shut down. Um, existing as a business uh, it, without a bank account is incredibly difficult. You cannot pay your electricity bill with cash. There are certain vendors you can't pay with cash. Uh, there are cash reporting requirements on Form 8300. So it just complicates everything, not to mention the biggest issue being a, it's a safety risk. If you have a lot of cash sitting around in your business, you are a target for crime. And um, that is causing a big issue in this industry. So 
we need more banks to be able to serve this industry. And the only way that's going to happen is if we pass legislation like safe banking. And for me, the industry exists. The federal government has decided to let states regulate. Um, there's talk of federal legalization. There's no reason why um, our legislators on both sides couldn't agree to pass a bill that allows for banks to um, to bank with this industry and do it without fear of repercussion um, or law enforcement for merely offering banking services. So, you know, to me, it, it doesn't make sense that we should shouldn't be passing this legislation. It's it's very important. And I think what happened the last time when it got removed from this must pass legislation in the defense spending bill is it was sort of people that we expect to be on our side <laughs> that are saying, well, I'm not going to support this until I get that. And to me, this is a safety issue. It should be passed, period. It shouldn't matter about what bill we put forth for legalization on the federal level. It shouldn't matter. This is a this is um, very straightforward legislation that both um, Republicans and Democrats can support. Um, it will help the business be um, with regulated monitoring businesses, making sure that they're reporting all their their income. I mean, it, having a cash-based business invites crime, invites criminals, uh, not to mention the logistical challenges. And I'm not saying that businesses that operate in cash are uh, behaving in such a way, but but it's 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 just very difficult to have um, a, a cash based business in this day and age. So, and you know, with the safe banking inquiry where it is, here's an interesting stat: in the 160 Congress, it just if this is an example, just to try to get some legislation being passed, 20 bills out of 5,000 introduced by lawmakers were actually enacted. The, mm -hmm. the slow and I mean, turtle-like movement of Congress to go and do anything to kind of give us any kind of help. And, you know, I want to appreciate those banking institutions that have started to step forward to try to offer, you know, whether it's uh, credit unions or other banks that have been out there that have started to make their way in to offer banking services. It's really wonderful, but it's just not enough, and there's not enough really the supply and demand of it to really help but out those companies out. Well, there's enough <clears throat> demand. There's not enough supply. Well, right. And unfortunately, too, it's expensive for the bank and for the, the business customer. And so, you, and uh, ironically, uh, you know, the, the cost to maintain a marijuana bank account because there's such high demand and low supply, because in order to bank, the banks have to go through special um, compliancy programs, et cetera, I mean, the cost is exorbitant. And not only that, banking, the IRS loves to disallow the fees that marijuana businesses are paying just to have a bank account because that's um, a disallowed under 280E, or at least that's the IRS's position. So it's like a double uh, hit for these businesses, unfortunately. Um, just, you know, to have a bank account, sometimes it's just not even affordable for a marijuana business, a small marijuana business, too. And it shouldn't be that way. Um, you know, there, marijuana exists. It's legal in a number of states. Um, and, you know, banks should be able to serve this industry without fear of reprisals from the federal government. Um, I so also want to make a point, too, when you brought up the level of crime or criminal activities being done towards cannabis businesses, 
I want to take a story from Politico real quick and just make this point, just to put uh-huh. this across. Now, there's not 50 states we can go and get this information from, but Washington State, for example, they say there have been more than 50 armed robberies of cannabis stores in the first two months of 2022. That's it. And that's more than all of 2020 and 2021. So people know these are targets. And they're able to go and do what they want with this here. And, you know, now here's the other thing I want to ask. Before we move along to what I wanted to ask you about when it comes to uh, an FDA announcement that I wanted to bring up on the, on the show on the show. But I thought this part was very important. So the safe banking that we know is now also, so no more NDAA. We already talked about that. The new thing is, just like you said, you know, you made the mention of how it's there's a little bit of being a little bit offended. I imagine the same thing could be said about the fact that now the House of Representatives wants to go ahead and put a version of their amendment in the Competes Act or the China Trade Bill. And it doesn't, I mean, yeah, sure, Senate support might be there, but it's the same thing over and over. Let's just fit it into another bill. Well, I don't see anything wrong with putting it or including safe banking language into what I call must pass legislation or likely to pass legislation. If that's the only way we get there, then that's fine. I don't have a problem with that. It's just um, and that was what was going to be happening with the defense spending bill as well. But it was removed at the last minute. I don't think um, I think there's more likelihood that it passes that way than as a standalone bill. Um, so I, I think that that may be our option right now. Um, and I think I'll take whatever we can get. So I, I don't know. I haven't looked into the Keep Competes Act, I think it's called, um, yes. into great detail. But I understand it's sort of a, you know, American manufacturing bill. And it's it's got those types of things. Hopefully it has bipartisan support. I do not know. But I'm OK with the concept of including safe banking language in must pass legislation if that's the only way we're going to get it passed. So just for context, folks, the United States Innovation and Competition Act of 2021, uh, it would direct funding to create a strategic transformer reserve, facilitate domestic manufacturing and test critical electric grid equipment to reduce vulnerability and increase resiliency in the event of severe damage to the electrical grid. That's the initial part. But where it says China and trade, where the political article I'm taking from says it is, Okay, I mean, it's something that could be much more possible to pass. I guess that's the one advantage I see from it. But like you said, without reading the bill, we're not sure what it's doing for it. But we still know safe banking still needs to be offering safe harbor to cannabis companies to be able to do good banking and to avoid this criminal activity that's going on. Now, let's get into one other thing, and we're going to follow up into this in the next break. But the FDA... They recently announced they issued warning letters to companies involved in the illegal selling of Delta-8 THC and CBD products in unprecedented action. The announcement states that, quote, this action is the first time the FDA has issued warning letters for products containing Delta-8 THC. Delta-8 THC has psychoactive and intoxicating effects that may be dangerous to consumers. The FDA has received reports of adverse events experienced by patients who have consumed these products. So talk to me about the pressure. Now, we already know some states have already started to outlaw or ban Delta 8 products, but the pressure now it would put with or without a cannabis control board to outlaw the sales of Delta 8, which is still on the market in many states. 
Yeah, I mean, my understanding is that at least 20 states have either restricted or banned the sale of Delta 8. And I always say this, um, you know, where a product has psychoactive effects or gets you high, expect it to be regulated in right. some way. And so this is this shouldn't be unexpected to people in the in the hemp industry. Delta 8 being a product that um, can compete with what's being sold from licensed marijuana stores is going to be regulated in some form or fashion. So, um, you know, you have a number of states that really aren't, you know, don't know what to do, but they know it gets people high. So they're going to come in and they're going to restrict it and ban it. Um, and then you have there's just a lot of confusion. I mean, a lot of people don't understand the hemp industry, even though it's federally legal um, and hemp derivatives are federally legal. It's largely unregulated because the FDA, I mean, they're just it's like a slow, like you say, slow train, not going very fast. No, um, and, and we're not getting clarity. Um, we're not getting regulations. And so there isn't we haven't created that swim lane for CBD yet, which I think was one of the first priorities. Um, and now we have um, this industry being developed uh, surrounding Delta 8 and these products being sold pretty much everywhere, like you mentioned, in gas stations everywhere. And, and yeah. there's no oversight as far as their manufacturing, what's in the products. It's just largely unregulated. So safety is a concern, obviously, to many states as well as the federal government. So the FDA issued these warning letters the same way they issued the warning letters to CBD. Um, you know, that's, I guess, limited enforcement, but they're trying to send a message essentially to say, we think these products may may not be safe um, and we need the public to know this. So they actually put out also, um, you know, their, their announcement that Delta 8 THC has serious health risks. Um, and there's so much more to say about it. Uh, we're going to go to commercial break. We're going to explain all this to the audience here because more importantly to me, when we go in the break right now, my point is going to be you have the FDA that they received the hemp bill. It's their job to implement it, to lay out the framework, to lay out the rulings and the regulations. And they have not done it. They have skipped the, skipped the can down the road, as they always say. And that's my biggest problem. Like, Listen, give me a set of rules and we'll follow it. But... That's what I want to bring up after the break is the fact of that. Plus, it's not just Delta 8. We know that the other phytocannabinoids that are being produced for products, synthetically or whatnot, that's coming up down the line after this. If it's not Delta 8, what's the next product that's going to be on shelves? We're going to talk about that more with the partner and lead of the cannabis practice at Holland & Hart, Rachel Gillette, here on Blunt Business after a short break. Rolling into some sponsors, but we'll be right back with more Blunt Business. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Welcome back to Blunt Business. I'm here with Rachel Gillette, partner and lead of the cannabis practice at Holland and Hart. And by the way, website for you to go and check out while we're going recording here, hollandhart.com, holland, H-O-L-L-A-N-D-H-A-R-T.com. Now, Rachel, 
more from this uh, from MJ Biz, they had an article that spoke about the Delta Eight debate, and they said this now quote in the effort to reg- legalize and regulate hemp derived CBD, the 2018 Farm Bill stated that any cannabinoid derived hemp defined as cannabis containing less than 0.3 percent Delta Nine THC was a legal product. So stated that. Yet by specifying Delta-9, the bill's authors unwittingly left over other cannabinoids outside the realm of regulation. Without the specific language detailed in the bill and without the FDA or congressional intervention, what? I mean, should business owners be concerned? Because, you know, there's only there might be some that will obviously put it on the shelf. And at some point, they might have to take a hit on the cost because it'll be banned. They can no longer sell it. Yeah, I mean, so the the. The argument being that since Delta-8 is chemically synthesized from CBD isolate, um, many states and the federal government may consider it to be a controlled substance. But I also think it comes down to, does it make you high? Um, And I think that's where um, uh, regulators want to step in and regulate. Um, But that's the position that the state of Colorado has taken. They have uh, recently, um, you know, come out uh, stating that that Delta-8 is not lawful. And in fact, uh, people have been charged with a crime for selling it. Um, so that is the risk that people run, uh, whether or not that those types of charges will stick in the long run. But it's something that people that are manufacturing and selling these products need to be aware of, that there could be criminal liability in certain states uh, for manufacturing and selling these products if your state has taken a position on Delta-8. And I don't think that this is settled at all. I think no. there's arguments um, to support that uh, anything derived from from uh, lawful hemp is legal under federal law. And um, even if it may be chemi- chemically synthesized in some respects. Um, so... I do respect the, those arguments on both right. sides, but I agree with you that, uh, you know, leaving the it, it largely unregulated or, or leaving it to be an open question um, with sort of these, you know, inf- enforcement actions that, uh, you know, are akin to sending a letter. You know, I, I I'm curious to know whether these adverse events that have been reported to the FDA are a result of a manufactured product that's manufactured in unsafe conditions as opposed to a manu- uh, like Delta-8 itself. And that's yeah. what we don't know, <laughs> right? right? I mean, it could be that the product is just a bad product and it has right. nothing to do with the fact that it's Delta-8. Um, so, you know, it's... It, it's it's interesting, but I do think a lot of states are stepping up and trying to provide clarity in the law, whether you agree with it or don't. Um, well, it's also and I'm sure there's a number a of issues. Don't. It's a, a lot of the issues go in the same way, whether it should just be state regulated or federally regulated. But my, I've always been the opinion. Now, this is my opinion only, is that it should be the states that should be going to be able to go and implement and follow with with federal oversight and framework. That's it. We don't need federal to jump in. Just lay out the rules, be done with it, let the states handle. But now without any help from the federal side, the states are just going to go along on their own onus. And, you know, God bless them for taking the initiative and saying, you know what, we need to go and protect our citizens or we need to go ahead and inform or educate or let our business owners 
have the right products that they can have on and go that route. Might as well. If they're not getting, they might as well go and pass the bills themselves. And then, you know, if federal wants to come in and intervene, then that's just for the fact. That's like forgiveness uh, before permission, things like that. Right. Uh, in the article, the MGBs also goes on to say that while Delta 8's popularity is boosting the bottom lines of hemp farmers and CBD companies, it's causing worries among traditional cannabis cultivators, manufacturers, and retailers, as well as regulators and lawmakers. And one recommendation that was put in that article, I thought this was important to point out, quote, that the federal government really needs to start thinking about ways in which to bring novel and minor cannabinoids into the regulated market in a way that protects consumer safety but also respects the huge burdens that licensed cannabis producers have faced and make sure they're not being cut out, end quote. So would it be wise, Rachel, in your opinion, to have amendments added to legislation like the FDA hemp bill that have yet to be properly implemented? Um, maybe, maybe not. It depends on what those amendments say. But um, I, I do think that there is, um, you know, there is this concept that many states have spent an inordinate amount of time trying to develop robust regulatory frameworks for the sale of cannabis products um, that are uh, that that get you high right yep. so you have this entire industry that has applied for licenses invested substantial amounts of money um, that um, pay taxes and are strictly regulated and then all of a sudden you know People come in and start selling products that have a similar psychoactive effect uh, at gas stations and without regulation. And I think, um, rightly so, um, there's going to we see pushback from the industry itself. Who obviously the industry is pro cannabis, but they're not pro people taking their business, <laughs> right? They because they they have to follow a strict set of rules. Yeah. Um, so I think the line in my mind is always. Does it get you high? And um, I think that may be similarly a line in many uh, legislators' minds, too. If it's a product that has psychoactive effects, then uh, perhaps it should fall into that bucket of um, strictly regulated as opposed to, um, you know, a product that has no THC, um, like a CBD lotion or balm or, or other CBD product or hemp derived product. Um, so I can understand uh, why um, the industry is concerned about Delta eight. Um, I certainly can, uh, but there has to be room for the hemp industry and there has to be a way that the hemp industry can succeed too. Um, and it's so most important that there are four lean companies out there that while there are compliance uh, barriers and standards that have been put in place by cannabis control boards that might not that might be just the bare minimum in some cases you know they might not all be colorado or california but the thing is is that there are a lot of companies that have been doing the right things and also organizations for that matter that have tried to do the right thing to make sure that all companies stay above compliance and are doing the proper the, the, the greater good for companies to not put out products that are going to be harmful or damaging they might have the psychoactive effects but at least they're going to be done uh pure and they're going to be done and they're going to be processed correctly. They're not going to have any any bad uh, bad effects towards those products. 
Right. Now, yeah. I yeah. mean, I agree with you. There are a lot of hemp companies that are absolutely doing the right thing or right. they're the research. And I, I, you know, I'm certainly not saying that there isn't a space for hemp and hemp derived um, products that have certain psychoactive effects. Um, you know, it's it's just that, um, you know, we're trying to get to the right place because well, cannabis not a lot is so regulated and hemp yeah. is and that's the whole difference is that right. the regulations are you know the, the rules are different for both for both industries we both support cannabis and hemp period right right but yeah the cannabis and hemp need to be regulated on they should have some uniform regulations in some way shape or form right and that's that's the problem is you have it largely unregulated but there are certain states where it, you know they're stepping up and and there is regulation i mean there there is a permit for manufacturing of hemp products in colorado there are a number of states that have permitting process for manufacturing and sales of of hemp products and hemp derivative products um so uh you know that i think is happening on a state-by-state -state basis maybe it's not happening fast enough for people um and then Obviously, the hemp industry and the cannabis industry itself is just um, so innovative and and things, you know, like you say, you people are creating new products, new derivative products right. all the time. And so the regulations take a lot of time to catch up with these new products because the industry is so, um, so innovative. Um, but. You know, the, the, I think everybody's interest in this industry, be it hemp, cannabis, is to make sure that consumers are safe, um, that um, people can make a living and they can succeed. Right. Yep. Um, so, um, you know, I think everybody has those interests and there's a, there's a way to get there. It's just, um, you know, it's going to take some time. Yep. Um, and unfortunately, it's probably more time than a lot of people have. They take too much time anyway. Uh, let's go and go to another break. I'm here with Rachel Gillette, partner and lead of the cannabis practice at Holland and Hart here on Blunt Business. Back after this. Rolling into some sponsors, but we'll be right back with more Blunt Business. Welcome back. I'm here with Rachel Gillette, partner and lead of the cannabis practice at Holland and Hart. Website is hollandhart.com. H-O-L-L-A-N-D-H-A-R-T.com. Now, when we started the show and i started talking to you about the delta 8 announcement by the food and drug administration the fda they mentioned they had issued warning letters and that they were they said they also had received you know reports and so they said that they actually had received 104 reports of adverse events in patients who consumed delta 8 thc between december 1st 2020 and february 28 2022 National Poison Control Center received 2,362 exposure cases of Delta-8 THC products between January 1st. The Delta-8 THC product code that was added to the database and February 28, 2022. So, a year and a month's time. So, they have this information, but yet, you know, do, has, the F, has the FDA, to your knowledge, or do, has anybody had a chance... To see anything of transparency in terms of the products or formulations, uh, you know, of what the reports are saying or what was be said that the reports found about which products were uh, at risk or what was in those products. Was there anything like that from the producer standpoint that was presented by the FDA to offer some trans transparency at all? 
you know, that's something we could FOIA, Freedom of Information Act request. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm imagining you could get that information, mm-hmm. except you won't get it for two years. Mm. <laughs> so it might just be completely irrelevant by the time wow. you get it. Um, but I do think there we could potentially get that information. But I agree with you. It's that that is important because, I mean, here's the problem is that because it's largely unregulated, because any 14, 16 year old can walk into a gas station mm-hmm. and potentially buy a Delta 8 product and people who buy products from gas stations don't expect those products to get them high. Right. Yep. Because. It's it's not like you're going into a liquor store and there's age verification. We're going into a cannabis business and there's age verification. There's there's a strict set of rules of who should be consuming these products and who shouldn't. And so that's that's what we have with Delta eight. We have these products being sold all over the place with no age restrictions. And we don't really have lots of rules as far as the manufacturer of the product. We don't we don't really know. So, you know, it could be the this, the issues of adverse events could be a result of a lot of different things, not necessarily the cannabis derivative itself. Um, it could be a result of, have you ever gotten high when you didn't know you were going to get high? I mean, that could be an adverse effect, event for a lot of people. What's happening to me? I don't know what's wrong with me. That doesn't necessarily mean people are at risk, but but it's something that's unexpected and probably not enjoyable and could be adverse for them. Um, so, so, right. And I the, just want to make the point. Okay. So if these poison control, uh, the poison control center got this information, the FDA got these reports. There is, um, remember all these companies, we're not judging. We're not trying to blame. I'm not putting any kind of negativity towards all of you, whichever you are. But the point is the FDA has put a bullseye on the industry here because of what they've done because of the fact that now you have this information that sounds damaging okay it doesn't sound good but there's nothing like like rachel said without waiting a couple of years on freedom of information act request to find out any information behind this the fda can just go ahead and continue to put out warnings like this in the future and, and the, the risk that comes along with this because we we want people to be responsible manufacturers and sellers of products, right? So maybe there should be an age verification. We shouldn't market towards children. You should, shouldn't yeah. have cartoon characters. I mean, the same rules that apply really in the cannabis space. Um, maybe, you know, selling products that have, you know, when it comes to the CBD, I always say maybe not having any THC in the product at all is advisable. It depends on your level of, uh, of risk tolerance versus risk aversion. Yeah. Um, so, but but the risk that we're running here as an industry um, is the the recriminalizing of this of of these products, right? Because you have people saying, "Oh, adverse events and and safety issues and everything else," and all of a sudden, states pass laws that are criminalizing the sale of Delta Eight, as opposed to regulating the sale of Delta Eight or creating you know, um, rules like age limitations, et cetera. So that's the, and that has happened in a number of states. So we don't want to go back to prohibition, remember, so that the onus is on all of us in the industry to make sure that we're selling safe products. They're being manufactured in a safe way. Um, But it just takes sort of a few major missteps in an industry 
to go back to uh, prohibition. Um, yeah. So I think that's something the hemp industry needs to really think about uh, when it comes to the types of products they manufacture and sell. Um, but that would also be then communicating with the states to say, listen, start implementing age verification. Let's just put it in there. You know, we, we can't – there has to be some proactive measures done by the industry itself to avoid this FDA intervention again. Like this is just an announcement, just a warning. But they haven't, mm-hmm. they haven't enacted anything. They have not taken actions yet. But the warning should be a shot that says, hey, you know, put your rabbit ears up and just realize this is a this is serious. And because we haven't gotten any implementation, any framework or regulations put in play, but yet we can get this kind of information that is just bad press. This is bad publicity that the industry does not need at all. This is mm-hmm. what's more important upon all the companies here collectively to realize there's a risk here. I mean, that's what we have right now. We have to keep that in mind. There's a lot more that can be asked. Let's talk about it, but we'll table that for now. So we talked earlier about safe banking. I want to get back to this one more time. Okay, so Marijuana Moment recently reported that nearly a quarter of the members of the U.S. Senate are joined together to call on congressional leaders to ensure that banking provisions are enacted into law as part of a large-scale manufacturing bill. We talked about there's 24 senators, 19 Democrats, 5 Republicans, that show the support for the Safe Banking Act, and we know that they want to try to implement it. We talked about it before the break, about putting it into the America Competes Act. And that's there's a bicameral conference committee that's supposed to be meeting about this. And noting that cannabis-making legislation has passed the House six times at this point, including as a standalone bill, quote, garnering the support of more than three-quarters of the chamber and a majority of the members of each party, the bipartisan group of senators has said that getting the reform enacted into law has demonstrated, quote, broad support. So when you have clients coming to you and say, listen, what are we going to, you know, is there any kind of guidance or if you feel like there's any kind of hope or any kind of, you know, expectations that eventually safe banking, as we all know, could be passed before the CAOA would be passed. And even when they tried to put the CAOA passed, they got it to the House and the Senate has so far not passed it, but it's likely not to not expected to. Even if $40 million was spent on lobbying to get the bill passed or the MORE Act as well, right? So if that's not coming in, you know, do you think the civil support means something tangible could happen? Do you feel like, are there any expectations that any of your clients or any people out there should expect to have? Well, I I will say this. I think the banking industry, in addition to cannabis industry, want this legislation. Uh, Because I think the banking industry, a lot of these larger banks see – this industry as a new customer and they just are not willing to take the risk of um, setting up a compliancy program and banking this industry until there is clear guidance um, and law uh, passed at the federal level that says that they are not going to be at risk for simply offering their services to uh, the cannabis industry. So, um, I can't remember your question, but I think it was, is, is it likely to pass or something like that? Well, I mean, do you think, do you feel like any expectations that say your clients would have or if other people would have out there, do you feel like they're warranted or do you feel like, uh, do we kind of feel cynical that 
we can't expect anything to be passed right away. That that banking relief is not on the horizon. As it was not coming up in the next year or two. I, I think I have less faith that it will pass as a standalone bill than I do that it will pass in some must-pass legislation, which is why it keeps being added to such legislation. So I do think. Um, I look, I'm an internal optimist, uh, so I want to think that this will pass because I think it's something that is important. And I think it, um, you, you know, I don't know that a lot of our legislators understand how many jobs are created in this industry, um, how many people make their living um, from the cannabis industry. It is it it uh, the, the coal industry is dwarfed by the size of the cannabis industry. Um, this is an important industry, and we should be able to have banking. Um, and the, the the highest priority in my mind for passing this legislation is the safety of employees and business owners that are in this space. Um, it's not going away, um, and uh, you know lives are at risk in my view. And I don't want to sound dramatic, but as you can see from the statistics in Washington of the 22 armed, what was it, 22 armed robberies or 50 right. armed? It, it, yep. Yeah, it's crazy. I mean, that's, that is a, is a huge safety concern. Um, and we don't want these businesses to be targets um, uh, of criminals or, or people that are robbing them. I mean, they have yeah. tremendous amount of security, but at the same time, um, you know, obviously people know that there's a lot of cash in this industry and there shouldn't be. I mean, um, they should have access to banking. Right. So we've talked extensively about banking regulation. I want to just get some breaking news as we do this as well, because it's just dropped in. I just want to make this report real quick that there's a new study that actually just came out that's demonstrating uh, CBD's strong safety profile. And they're, they're showing observational data on long-term consumption of oral CBD shows no correlation to safety issues raised by the FDA. So there's a study that came out, and it's showing that with the results, daily consumption across a range of typical retail products and serving sizes is not associated with elevated liver tests, low testosterone levels, or daytime drowsiness. And hemp and CBD industries now are calling and urging the FDA to take steps to regulate CBD now, and calling on Congress to act if FDA continues to delay. And there's a, a number of companies that are behind this. The U.S. Hemp Roundtable just put out this uh, press release. So, you know, at least, you know, there are a lot of good companies out there that are trying to get the push and say, listen, you know, while we're waiting for banking, while we're waiting for relief at other ends, regulation is important. FDA, you know, please put the implementations now in place. Congress step in if necessary let's just get it done and i can appreciate that uh, that just coming across the pipe let's want to put that out there to the audience well the other thing i want to add too is that that type of study is important because what we don't want the fda to do is fear-based regulation right regulation out of fear um not understanding the science and not understanding the facts right so yeah. so uh, these types of studies are very important um and, you know, it's something that maybe I already knew, but now you can put the data in front of the FDA and hopefully that will lend itself to a, a more rationally based science based regulation as opposed to fear based regulation. Yep. Um, so 
that's what we want to have. So that's good. I'm, I'm, I'm going to have to reach out to the hemp roundtable and get some more commentary on this because they put a pretty expansive press release on it. And I like the fact they're trying to put this out there and, and you know, it's, it's just one organization that's trying to go ahead and say, listen, we want to do this right. And we want to avoid issues like, well, the FDA just put that out there on us because, you know, it's, it's trying to create, it's trying to create crisis management. We don't, we should not be on the defensive. We should be on the offensive continuously as an industry. That's the way it's going to win. I mean, it, it comes down to that. So again, I'm in here with Rachel Gillette, who is a partner and lead of the cannabis practice at Holland and Hart. Really appreciate you taking time to go and join us again, Rachel. And real quickly, for those that want to go and reach out to you and connect with you or your team, is should they would need legal services, how can they go ahead and do that? Uh, they can send me an email or they can contact me through our website at Holland and Hart. If you just look up my name at the Holland and Hart website, they can get a hold of me and then uh, they can call me as well. Um, and uh, my number is 303-295-8241. Hollandhart.com, H-O-L-L-A-N-D-H-A-R-T.com is the website. Rachel, thanks again for being on with us. Really glad to have you on and we'll definitely keep in touch. All right. Thanks. Appreciate it. And thank you, listeners, for listening in the Blunt Business, as you always do. We'll talk to you next time. Opinions expressed on this CannabisRadio.com program are those of the guests and hosts and do not necessarily reflect those of the staff and management of CannabisRadio.com. Any rebroadcast, republication, or retransmission of this program without proper consent is prohibited. Save big money now on new siding from LP Smart Side at Menards. Update and beautify your home with your choice of 13 timeless colors of pre-finished engineered siding. It's durable and includes a Sherwin-Williams factory finish paint warranty that means no painting for years to come. View our entire selection of siding from LP Smart Side today. And don't forget to check out our flyer on Menards.com for all the great deals happening now. Save big money at when you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.